Welcome to the New Thinking for a New World podcast, where we explore the most pressing issues that are challenging and changing our societies. We are looking for new thinking and new solutions wherever we can find them. Listen as host Alan Stoga, the Talberg Foundation's chairman, challenges his guests for analysis, ideas and actions. Together, we can help make our world at least a bit better. For all practical purposes, the 20th century ended when the Berlin Wall fell, followed rather quickly and relatively quietly by the collapse of the Soviet Union. If you've come of age since then, the struggles of the Cold War, including the very real possibility of nuclear Armageddon, are the stuff of history books, not memory. That is particularly true for Germany, which was transformed by reunification, and particularly true for German millennials who are starting to come to power in politics and in broader society. Inevitably, they look at the world differently than their predecessors. Different assumptions, different expectations. How will this change the country? What does it mean for Europe and more broadly for Germany and Europe's role in the world? My guest today is both German and millennial, and she has thought about these questions. Ulrika Franke, a senior policy fellow at the European Council on Foreign Relations, recently published an article entitled, A Millennial Considers the New German Problem After 30 Years of Peace. Welcome, Ulrika. Thank you very much for having me. I really enjoyed your article and will make sure that our listeners can read it. Uh, But it's funny to think about a problem after peace. Mm -hmm. Peace shouldn't generate problems, it should generate solutions. One of the things you wrote particularly resonated, and it's a quote, secretly, my generation hopes that all will go back to our normal soon. Of course, you say it's not going to happen, but let's start there. What do German millennials want and what's going to happen when they realize it's not on offer? <laughs> yeah, I think I think you definitely have a point saying that, you know, peace shouldn't be a bad thing. And I'm certainly not arguing that it is. So I'm not I'm not complaining that I've had a kind of calm and peaceful childhood um, while growing up. But I think this fact is kind of long decades of geopolitical calm and quite extraordinary domestic continuity in, in Germany. I think this just creates certain challenges. And it is really this feeling of what's normal and what isn't. So um, I think, you know, the kind of normal that German millennials have experienced is actually rather unnormal insofar as the world doesn't tend to be particularly calm and particularly stable for very long. But that's something that we're only now learning, very slowly learning, I'd say, maybe since, you know, I don't know, 2014 with Russia's annexation of Crimea and then you had Brexit and the election of Trump and all of this has kind of uh, created um, a bit of a, a bit of a change. But but still, I think this is this is a difficult experience um, for us. What do German millennials want? I mean, obviously, it's it's really difficult to generalize, but I think the hope of of many of this generation is indeed that you know a lot of the challenges that we are facing now won't become real challenges after all. I think there's a real hope that, you know, everything is going to stay the same more or less. So the the European Union, the the, the EU um, and, and Europe in general is definitely really important for us. Uh, there, there's a hope and belief that, you know, European unification um, 
not only needs to stay as it is, but even maybe grow further. I mean, you know, the 90s when I grew up and, and then 2000s were really the time when the European Union grew ever further and, and was a strong uh, player in that sense. And the same with the transatlantic relationship. We, we have, to some extent, a return to the old normal now with uh, Joe Biden in the White House after the four years of Trump. But I think there's even more of a hope that that in a way we can go back to the 90s where where things were calm and uh, the transatlantic relationship was very stable and we didn't really have to worry so much about burden sharing and and it wasn't quite so much expected of us. So I think this is this is the, the problem, right? There's quite a bit expected of Germany and and this is not necessarily something we're very comfortable with. But Pandora's box has certainly been opened, and whether it's in politics. Uh, Brexit, Trump, uh, Erdogan, Putin, whether it's in military and security, Crimea, other parts of the world, Hong Kong, uh, whether it's climate, uh, where every indicator we have is that it's real and it's now, and every political indicator we have is that we're incapable of addressing it. Pandora's box is wide open and all of these things are coming out. I think it's just that if you experience something for a long time, it's really hard to understand change. Um, this is this is the thing, right? This is this is really my main my main um, insight, if you like, and this is very much an insight about myself as well, right? I mean, the piece that you. Um, so kindly mentioned in your introduction, this is very much a self-reflection because I myself had this feeling of, you know, what is normal and, and now what's going on? You use the term Pandora's box has been opened, but it certainly felt like, oh my God, why is everything changing and, and, and when will this stop? And I think, you know, we need this realization that, um, that, that things are likely to keep changing and, and that we can't go back to this normal. So, so I think it's not necessarily that people say, you know, it must, this, this must by definition come back. It's just that we're a bit lost in this, in this new world uh, because it feels so foreign. Um, and there's definitely a hope that maybe it's not going to be so bad and maybe the old um, convictions will apply after all, right? I mean, there is this element of, you can call it maybe the liberal theory or it's, it's related to the end of history theory, but it's definitely this idea that, you know, if you just create relationship with other countries, if people trade with each other, eventually everyone is going to come to the same conclusion that, you know, the liberal international uh, democratic system is the best after all. And that was for a long time the hope for example, for China, but also for Russia, right? And it was the same in the US. I mean, this isn't just the German issue. It's kind of Western realization. And I think we're, we're only very slowly and, and more slowly, I'd say, than, than the United States realizing that, you know, maybe this belief and this hope was wrong. Maybe it's not going to turn out this way. And maybe, you know, China develops, but doesn't become this, this uh, democratic uh, society that, that we hoped for. And this is a bit of a harsh awakening, if you like. So how do you play that forward? Because I think that is precisely right. It wasn't just Germany. It was certainly a couple of generations of American policymakers and, and business leaders, uh, along with the French and the Germans and the British and everyone else, had convinced themselves that if you would just put the cheese in the right place in the maze, then indeed, not just the Chinese leadership and the Russian leadership, but the Chinese and Russian people would realize that they want to be just like us. And as we sit here in 2021, it doesn't seem 
to have come out that way. It seems quite the opposite. I think the hope is still there. Yeah. I mean, maybe not just like us, but I think the hope is still there that um, economic development uh, leads to an empowered middle class, which then is asking for more rights, etc., which leads to a democratization of, of a system. So I, I do believe that, that the hope is still there. Um, and I mean, it's not... I, I don't want to go too far either because this isn't something that's like completely ridiculous. You know, we've have we've, we we have seen countries, um, for example, in in Eastern Europe, develop in this way more or less. So so there's some kind of basis to this belief. So I think there's still a little bit of hope, and there's still hope that communication channels and and working together on some issues while disagreeing on others can help. And yeah, I, and I and I share that belief to some extent. But I think you're right that there are fewer and fewer people who really believe the whole narrative of, you know, eventually trade and the market and capitalism will lead us to this kind of utopia of, of the liberal international system where everyone is is um, happy and, and dealing with each other through international law rather than through well, potentially military power, but a definitely kind of geopolitical power place. To the extent that's the case, it does set up, it sets up a basis for much more tension uh, between Europe and the United States than there has been over the last, over, over this benighted period of peace and prosperity, when we were, we were all looking at the world more or less through similar glasses. Uh, it, it creates that possibility of lots more tension, perhaps also within Europe. So let's go full circle back to Germany and millennials. How do you, and how do you think German millennials think about Germany's place in Europe and Germany's place in the world? And that's a huge question, but is it, is it the rule of law? Is it competition? Is it East versus West? Uh, a French leader recently said to me in this podcast series, we need to position ourselves between the Chinese and the Americans. That's a dramatically different conception of uh, Europe's role, of France's role, Germany's role, uh, than we've seen during the, the last 40, 50 years. First of all, I think you're right that we will see more tensions between Europe and the US, particularly over China. Um, I, I do believe that we are in for for quite a few heated discussions when it when it comes to that between between Europe and the US because there's just the interests are slightly less aligned than than transatlantic interests were in the past. This isn't you know unsolvable, but definitely something that that will be a topic um for the years to come. You were asking about you know what do German millennials think about Germany's place in Europe and in the world. And my kind of immediate reaction would be to say they don't really think about that question so much. I mean, that's that's partly um, what I are observing, that we as a generation, and again, I'm, I'm totally generalizing, but we lack this um, method of strategic thinking, right? This kind of method where you look at the world and look at yourself and you think about, you know, what what kind of power do I have and what do I want in the world and who are my allies and who are my opponents and how can I influence the world in a way that, that is, is good for me and my allies. And this kind of scene setting, stock taking exercise that you do at the beginning of, of any 
political decision or that you should be doing. I don't think that's something that we are doing. So, so I, I don't, I don't think that there are many, many millennials, even though, and even, even those among, you know, foreign policymakers that really ask these kind of, you know, very big questions of where should we go, we be going and what's our role in the world and in Europe. And I think that is indeed quite different to, especially France and the UK. Um, I think it is a quite prevalent uh, approach among kind of smaller European nations, which makes sense because, I mean, there's only so much, you know, so big a role that, I don't know, Belgium can play in, in Europe and the world. Um, but that's not the case for for Germany. But but yeah, so I think that the French or the Brits, I mean, the Brits, especially now with Brexit, uh, are definitely thinking more about this, you know, what do we want to do in, in the world and where do we see ourselves? But anyway, so to the extent that, that um, Germans are doing this, I think we are seeing uh, Germany to quite some extent as a, a mediator um, in, in Europe, a central player, but not so much as a leader, but more as a, as, a, as a country or the country that is making sure that Europe kind of holds together that the 27 hold together, that there aren't too many um, problems. And I, and I quite honestly think that Germany has played that role relatively successfully over the last few decades. Of course, there were moments where, where that wasn't necessarily um, the case, but, but I think there, there, because there's such a big belief in Europe and in the European Union and Germany, there is at least an element of kind of selflessness that not many other great nations would necessarily have adopted that Germany has adopted has a lot to do with our history. I don't want to go into this, but but I think I think this is this is a kind of constant that we're we're continue to see. Um, but but yeah, and in the world, so so I I don't think that German millennials or German in general um, really do see a big role for Germany in the world. And again, this is quite different from France or the UK. You know, France and UK have a view of themselves in the world. Um, Germans see themselves, you know, as, as part of Europe and, and there are some interest, you know, there's a lot of um, dependence on export markets and international trade and all of this. And we like the international system. So keeping all of this up, I think is important. But there isn't quite a big vision as to you know, what role Germany should have in, in faraway places. We just had the first um, Indo-Pacific, it wasn't an Indo-Pacific strategy, it's an Indo-Pacific position paper. Um, uh, so, so this is, you know, kind of the first time that, that uh, Germany has thought about, you know, its role, for example, in, in that uh, region. So we're being pushed to do that more, but this isn't something that's, that's high up on the agenda, I'd say. The irony, of course, is that France has both a history and an, and an idea of itself, and Macron is an embodiment of that, uh, that they ought to lead the world. <laughs> they know they can't without you. If I interpret what you, you, you talked about correctly, they don't want to play the partner to France leading Europe, leading the world. Um, is, is that a fair statement? It surprised me when I saw that. Yeah, and this surprised me too. I agree. Um, that was that was a polling result, and of course, you know, polling results can go different ways, and and so so one should maybe um, interpret or overinterpret this too much. But yes, I was also surprised that when it came to you know most important partners, the younger generation didn't see France as as an important partner, and I 
I don't really have a good explanation for that. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I must admit, I was, I was also surprised um, when I, when I saw this. There may, you know, there can be developments over time, so, so we'll see. Actually, I'm, I'm, I'm even more worried about partnerships shipped to the United Kingdom. I mean, especially now after Brexit, when you look at at polling results when it comes to the United Kingdom as a partner, um, Germans in particular tend to say. I mean, yes, but they've left, so not so much a partner anymore. Um, so, so yeah. And if this is the approach, we're kind of running out of partners. So I hope that this is that this can change. But I don't really have a great explanation for the for the apparent um, kind of rejection of, of of France when it when it comes to to partners. Your article drove me to read the piece by Thomas Bagger, mm. uh, which is also really quite interesting. And, and you quote him. <laughs> Having been on the wrong side of history twice, Germany finally found itself on the right side. Um, and of course, that turns out not necessarily to be true because history indeed didn't end, it just kept on going and, and is moving into this very complicated environment that, that we talked about. Is Germany on the right side and, and, and what do sides mean anymore in the very complicated world? And let me pair that with a second thought Essentially, what you've just been saying is that you sense that Germans, German millennials in particular, aren't necessarily interested in leading, um, although have some very strong ideas about where things ought to go. And, and there, there seems to be contradictions in all that, that uh, sort of waiting for Tinkerbell to just make it all happen somehow. Is, is that too harsh? Um no, I think there's some some truth to that. Let me let me come back to that. So, first of all, the the Thomas Baga piece that you mentioned, yeah, that influenced my thinking in so far as he describes really well this kind of spirit of 1989 for those who lived through it. So he um, is of I think two generations um, uh, older older than me, and he very much describes um, what what the fall of the Berlin War and German reunification and this whole end of history meant for his generation. And he describes well how enthusiastically Germans adopted the end of history narrative, exactly because of this feeling of now finally being on the right side of history after you know uh, decades and decades on during which um, Germany was clearly on the wrong side of history. Are we on the right side of history now? I mean, first of all, you know, I, I don't think that this is a statement and can be made because there is a there. It's a continuous development, and the whole point is that you know history hasn't ended and and that it is still going on. I think um, there are quite a few right lessons that Germany has learned from the past and from its path uh, past. So. I mean, I, I, I think it's it's genuinely quite good for Europe that Germany is extremely careful uh, when it comes to kind of throwing its power around in Europe. I, I know that maybe some, I don't know, Poles um, or Greek may listen to us and say, "Wait a minute, don't they do this?" And you know, I can, I, I can, I can kind of see this. But overall, I mean, given the kind of economic size and just general size of Germany in Europe. And there is the saying that Germany is too big to Europe, and I think for Europe, and I think there's something to it. So, so I think, um, um, given, given all of this, I think there are quite a few right lessons that Germany has learned from the past, which is about you know being careful about throwing its its weight around too much, which is about being careful about trying to to be too much of a leader and to by kind of 
trying to impose our visions um, too much. Um, I, I think this reticence to use military power is overall good, um, but I think on this thing we we overlearned a few lessons. So I think um, you know Germans see military power as genuinely and, and inherently bad and not just, you know, using military power for leg legitimate um, uh, aims. And so, and I, so I think the skepticism of military power is one lesson that we have maybe learned too well and which may come back and bite us because you said something right very very good which is that you know it seems that 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 german millennials or german in general have actually quite a view on where things should be going and i think you're right i mean there are quite a few strong views when it comes to human rights and and um, this by the way i think is particularly prevalent among um the the green party where you know they clearly say you know Russia and China and all of these players, they, they really should be acting differently. And that's that's all fair and good. The thing is just that if you take on strong positions in foreign policy, you need to have geopolitical power to make them count. And geopolitical power has several elements. I mean, of course, economic power, which Germany has, is an element. But military power is also an element of geopolitical power, just kind of having military power. And what I'm seeing is that we're kind of going in this direction where where we have kind of, you know, strong views on where the world should go and, and maybe taking strong position towards other players. But then we don't have to necessarily have the power to to bolster these these positions. And that's that's not great. That's not a great um, and that's not a great approach to take. And this, again, brings me back to this kind of strategic thinking. You know, if you if you know where you go, if you if you know what you want, if you have a name, you need a strategy as how to get there, and you need to consider your own resources and and how to use your resources to get there. And I think we don't quite do that uh, in in a sufficient way. If you feel that the world lacks global leaders, please help support the Talberg Foundation programs. Individual donations are being accepted at talbergfoundation.org slash donate. That's T-A-L-L-B-E-R-G foundation.org slash donate. Is it the case, though, that Germany doesn't have power or is it that Germany is afraid of having power? And in fact, just to follow, you make the point, and I think it's a really terrific one, that, again, from a millennial mindset point of view, um, there's a moral superiority element mm -hmm. to all of this, that power is for little people. Mm -hmm. uh, what's for big people like us um, are ideas and thoughts and the rule of law, and stuff will just happen. There's definitely this kind of pushing to the side of, of the notion of geopolitical power, and there's this feeling of enlightenment, of having moved beyond geopolitical power plays. Um, unfortunately, we may have moved on, uh, but the world hasn't, and I don't think it ever will. I mean, now we're very much into the kind of worldview and Hobbes and Kant and all of this. But, but I think you know there, there was this this feeling that that somehow all of this uh, was over, and and international law is what counted, and in the United Nations, every country counts the same. And of course. That's not quite true. I mean, there are more powerful countries um, than others. And, and I mean, the, the, what, what's so interesting about this is that, of course, Germany is a quite powerful country. Um, it is, you know, 
pretty it's a pretty big country so there are some 80 plus million people which makes it the largest country in Europe it is economically powerful and has been for quite a while which means that it is rich and all of this means you know power because if you're economically powerful you can impose sanctions for example and you you know just have uh, money to spend on on you know be it foreign aid or indeed military power but the thing is where we don't really have a lot of power is in the military realm i mean of course germany has armed forces um, and they aren't actually, you know, particularly small. They're, I think the, the the current goal is um, to move towards the kind of 200,000 soldiers. I think we're at 185,000 soldiers. Um, so, so the Bundeswehr isn't exactly a, a small armed force. It's just that because of a mix of kind of underfunding over decades, basically since the end of the, the Cold War, um, bad bureaucracy and a number of other things, um, we have reached a situation where where the Bundeswehr is is kind of, you know, lacking uh, in in quite many respects. And um, although it's difficult to compare, it does seem as if the French or the Brits um, are are more powerful in in that area. And not only this, so it's not only just about you know how good or how well equipped is the Bundeswehr, but but military power is also related to your willingness to use it. And it is very clear that there is no willingness. Um, I almost want to say no willingness whatsoever, but that's not quite fair because Germany has been in, in military operations um, and is in military operations right now. But there is there is definitely very little willingness, especially among the German population, to yeah to 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 employ military power in any way whatsoever. And I'm not even necessarily meaning you know carry out military operations, but even even use it as an element of of geopolitical power is something that's that's extremely frowned upon and so this is this is why yeah germany doesn't have quite as much power as it as it could have um because it is basically disregarding uh, a whole element to insist are millennials how do how do they solve the equation that's that's i guess what i'm struggling right we want climate change we want peace and prosperity the social contract we've had for the last 40 years to be renewed. Uh, we want a good outcome in Afghanistan. We want et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I think they don't. I think they don't solve the equation because they don't think about, you know, this is the goal and this is what I need to, to get there. I think they or we um, are thinking much more in terms of, but this is common sense. I mean, I think the climate change example is, is, is a perfect one because, you know, it's just that this is a common interest. So we don't need to, we don't need any kind of power to make this happen. This should happen through international diplomacy, um, cooperation, uh conversations etc et rather than through through anything else i think it's it's number one it's that and number two and this is maybe now saying the quiet part out loud the answer is the united states i think um sometimes potentially without even noticing it and again this has to do with the kind of normal of the last decades there is this belief or just this um, conviction that somehow, you know, we can come up with the, the big ideas for the world and, and have these conviction. And, and somehow if push comes to shove and it's, if things really need to happen, the United States will step in and kind of play this role of the, the global police, uh, police force. 
So, um, and, and quite honestly, I, th I think this isn't necessarily something that, that people realize that this is the way they're thinking. Because, you know, if you really think about it, this is a bit uncomfortable. You don't really want to say that, you know, you just rely on someone else, and especially the United States, uh, to, to, to solve your problems. But I think this is a big part of um, German, German thinking, that in the end, the United States is going to find um, a, a solution somehow. Especially someone who's in the long-term process of withdrawing from a lot of its past commitments. Just a different point. Yeah. Uh, does, has the pandemic experience impacted any of this thinking? So the generation that that's kind of, you know, uh, teenagers or, 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 yeah, teenagers now, um, I think that's a really interesting generation because I think this is massively going to be the crisis generation. Um, they've, they've grown up uh, in, in a time where turmoil kind of seemed to be the norm. So very different from, from us. Um, and, and I think climate change uh, looms much larger over them than, than over us, which, which is interesting, but yeah, this is the kind of Friday of the future uh, generation and indeed the pandemic generation, and so I think this may influence them them more. Um, quite honestly, I don't quite know yet how the pandemic has influenced um, uh, all of this thinking. I mean, I guess the pandemic has shown that countries really are part of a network, and you can't just kind of shut your door uh, against uh, against anything really, and that 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 we are dependent on each other. I think that that is definitely brought that home um i think for germany i mean overall germany did really quite well during the pandemic um there was some hiccups towards the end with vaccinations but but that has pretty much been resolved and so um i'm actually wondering whether to some extent the pandemic has just reinforced this this feeling of you know in the end everything is fine with us and it's the others that are that are struggling more and we we tend to find solutions but I, yeah i don't i don't quite know um I, I i wonder how it's how it's how it's gonna impact uh things i think this feeling of you know kind of interdependence and dependence to some extent is certainly there i think by the way that um but this may be kind of going a little bit beyond our our discussion but i think we what we definitely are seeing is is a return of the state return of this, this power of the state, return of, of borders to some extent that was uh, pretty unknown of uh, for, for yeah, uh, Europeans uh, over the last few decades. So, so that, I, I don't quite know what this is going to do, but it just reminds us that um, uh, there are still borders and that the state has still quite a lot of power. And um, I, I wonder what that's going to do uh, eventually. Well, that, I'm glad you said that because it points exactly where I'd like to end with a question. One of the things that might have happened over the last decades is that your generation and succeeding generations would become less German and more European, that the balance of identity would shift away from the nation state and towards Europe. Why isn't Germany more European or why aren't Germans more European or why aren't German millennials, to be very precise, more European in your judgment? Mm. I mean, I guess German millennials are actually quite European in a sense that, and and here um, again, you know, we've we've kind of been generalizing about German millennials, but a lot of the the things that I describe are quite a bit about those German millennials kind of involved in foreign policy making, and this is a bit of a is a bit of a self selection. It's not all German millennials, but but actually those German millennials that I talk about, I think are are pretty European in the sense that they speak 
usually several languages, so not just just English, but but also French. Um, but I think you're right that we haven't quite arrived at this European identity, and in a way, it it may have all even gone back a little bit from the the idea or the ideal um, in the past. I think it's mainly kind of ebb and flows. Um, I I wouldn't say, you know, this idea hasn't succeeded and that's that. Um, it could very well be that, um, you know, in a few years time, we're going to have yet another kind of flow of, of European identity and, and more collaboration. Um, but but I, I think it's right that over the last few years, we've we've had quite a few setbacks when it came to Europe. I mean, Brexit being one, but also the developments in Eastern Europe, which are more about cultural development and so very, very um, important for, for identity. Um, I think there's also this, this realization that, you know, Europe is a continuous effort and and never something that you've just created and and are done with it. So this is a continuous process. But I don't want to be pessimistic actually on the European development because I really do believe it's it's an ebb and flow and and things can get better again. Um, and maybe this is you know the kind of counterside to to this return of the borders that we mentioned. It is possible that that it is exactly that return of the borders that we've experienced that are gonna that is going to remind people how how great freedom of movement is and how important um all of this is so they may be fighting for it more than they than they did before just because it became normal um so yeah on on that i remain uh, pretty hopeful i have to say i think that's probably right i want to thank you for spending time with me today it is a fascinating conversation i think it's a work in progress to put it mildly yeah uh your generation does come to power and it comes to power. It is coming to power in the corporate sector, in the public sector, at the regional level, eventually at the national level. And, and this shift in attitude is going to be terribly important. So thank you for thinking about it and thank you for spending time with us today. Well, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining us. Please rate our show on Apple Podcast and subscribe. Meanwhile, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Or you can subscribe to our newsletter at talbergfoundation.org to learn more about our work. That's T-A-L-L-B-E-R-G foundation.org. Thank you and we'll be back again next week for another episode of Talberg's New Thinking for a New World. This podcast was brought to you through the generous support of SNF, the Stavros Niarchos Foundation.